Hey everybody, welcome to episode 39 of Outspoken. I'm your host, Justin White, and my guest today is uh, my new friend, a friend of a friend who I just met. Um, her name's Natalia, and um, we met, well, we texted first for five seconds, and then we talked on the phone for five to ten minutes, and then we had this conversation. So I knew very little about Natalia prior to this, uh, which is pretty fun for me. It's cool to go into a conversation not knowing what's what will come of it. Um, and I don't want to say too much about her because she can tell you herself, but uh, I would like to say she's an immigration lawyer here in the Bay Area, um, which I think is quite a, quite a service that she's providing right now to um, a lot of people who are in dire need thanks to a certain subset of pieces of shit who uh, make legislation for this country. Um, and so I think she's awesome for that. And um, she's also more eloquent than most native English speakers that I know, including myself. Uh, anyway, my printer's been trying to get me to sign some kind of contract for a while, so um, I guess I'll do that, and then we'll talk to Natalia. I, I want to hear about you and what you, what you have learned in the world in your time here. What I have learned in the world, <laughs> that's a big question. Yeah, well, you can pare it down to like a smaller, a smaller version. We could start wherever you want, if you want to, you know. I think I maybe loosely go chronologically, okay. perhaps, and start with childhood, since it, it was so um, formative. I guess it's formative for everyone, but... Uh, um, so like I mentioned to you briefly over the phone when I was um, two years old, uh, there had been a coup d'etat in my home country, which is Argentina. And so one morning, there was a knock on the door. And at the time they said, you know, open the door, Argentinian army, they come in. And then they uh, took my father, who at the time was 26 years old, and a law student. Mm. And my sister was 40 days old and uh, sleeping, I suppose. <laughs> and my mom was out uh, at the equivalent of a farmer's market. Okay. And so... And so what year was this? What, just 76. To... Okay. And were, was there military activity... No, I'm sorry, 78. 78, okay. And was there activity leading up to the... I mean, there must have been with the coup d'etat. There must have been stuff going on. And But, but was, the was the Argentinian military present around your where you lived? or? Well, the coup d'etat was done by uh, certain uh, groups uh, combined with the military. Okay. So with tanks and things like that, very similar to Chile, 
Um, but but was the public aware of it? Was the general public aware of what was going on, or was this of the coup d'état? Yes, but yeah. not about the. You know, there was kind of like martial law. Okay. So lots of liberties are suspended. That's, that's kind of what I was getting at. Is right. Like, was but there some? There was there was a lot of stuff going on. You know, like uh, a lot of armed people in the streets from okay. the government. However, uh, people did not know at the time what was going on with those who were being taken. Uh, initially, people presumed it was for interrogation, right. things like that. But only after some years went by is that you know people started realizing, oh, most of them are not coming back, and mm. we don't even know where they are. So it was very messy. Yeah. Um, so sorry, I interrupted you from telling the actual story. Uh, I think you said your mom was coming back from the market. Yeah, well, um, that was actually 77. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> 76, 77. Because my sister was born in 77. So okay. that's. Uh, so she was 40 days sure. old, you said. 40 days and old. You were two for years sure. and some change. Yeah. Okay. And so my mom is coming back from the farmer's market, and then she sees that the whole block is um, closed. And uh, at the time, the military was uh, known for using a. Uh, a car that is a Ford Falcon mm. green cars, okay. army green cars. And so she saw my dad was a handcuff and being put in the trunk of one of those cars. She just well. happened to come up the block as he she was, was returning uh, from the farmer's market. And then she stopped. Right. right? And then, so she saw that and then she slowly walked back and uh, discreetly mm. because uh, it was very common that they would stay at the house of whoever was taken to wait for either other people friends or spouses right. or uh, mm. relatives and so and then she uh this is what my mom tells me right mm. she called my grandma her mom and said you know they have taken roberto that was my father biological father's name and so go get the girls and then my grandma a little short lady uh sicilian uh mm. <laughs> with a lot of attitude so she took a cab uh um, as if I tell you, maybe from San Mateo to San Francisco. It was a little far. Okay. And then um, she arrived and she said, I'm here to get my granddaughters. And uh, they asked me, who is this lady? And I said, that, that's my grandma, my mom's mom. And so they let us go with her. Um, but were you, I mean, after your dad was taken, where what, were you... Aware of what ha you're only two, so did, like how much? Well, I'm not so sure whether this is like uh, how legit this memory is. Yeah, but uh, it seems like I have always uh, narrated what happened to my mom uh, with these details as follows. So these people were wearing civil civilian clothes, mm. and then um, my dad. I think that they had like a ladder in the backyard for you know, is preparing an escape route. Okay. Um, and so, but they, he, he almost escaped, but they got him and then they exited through the front door. And so I asked my father, where are you going? What's going on? Mm. Um, and he said, I'm just going to go with a, for a walk with this gentleman. Stay and stay here. Take care of your sister. Okay. Wait for your grandma. Um, and then, uh, my mom, I did not see for a year. Uh, From after that, that, she went to the market and then. She went to she she moved from place to place in Buenos Aires, the Argentinian capital, and mm -hmm. then after a little bit, she um, migrated to Brazil. Did you know where she was when she at all? Or was I did she, not know. She, she would call my grandma's uh, okay. house. So your grandma, your grandmother knew. 
that she was somewhere and okay. And... She did not know where she was because she bounced from place to place. Oh, okay. But uh, she, we had, you know, we, she would call. And there was a guy stationed outside my grandma's house, kind of like following her around. Wow. Um, my grandma would actually have him, this guy, uh, carry her groceries and things really? like that. Yeah, he she, was just there all the time? Like he was just always was, shadowing her? And... Not the same guy, but there was someone... I'm not sure for how long and, you know, and they, whether did, it was did they do that with every, like every family that they took someone? They I am not just sure. Like keep tracking. The I'm remain- not sure. But I know that my <clears throat> father was, uh, he had like a, you know, some sort of leadership role at the time with, uh, activism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, like, That's I don't really of- know myself. It's basically a hearsay because yeah. I was so little. Right. Um, but has so- your grandmother... I mean, did you talk to her as you grew up or was it not spoken of? Yes, uh, yes. But, but you know, she wasn't there when he was taken. So she can right. only tell me what happened, what happened once she arrived. Her. And we also, um, and she also took this uh, young girl called Maria. I think she was two, my age, two or three years old. And she was the daughter of a lady uh, that my parents have given uh, you know, refuge. Okay. Uh, she had nowhere to go. She was afraid of, you know, being uh, um, caught. And my mom also saw that that this lady, Adriana was her name. She was also being put in the back of a uh, car, in the truck. Okay. And so um, I did not see my mom for a year and I uh, never seen my father again. And um, after, I'm not sure which year, but, you know, several years later in I don't remember exactly the reason, but there was a legal reason why my mom asked that he be declared legally dead. Okay. Um, perhaps for her to, I'm not sure. It was some, have some resolution. And yeah, some and closure. something bureaucratic. Okay. Resolution. Well, yeah, I mean, is nev- a, never really with something yeah. like that. But I mean, well, I don't know. I can't even imagine what the what the, for her, I guess there would be a reason to want it to be finalized. Right. Um, and so, you know, a year later, uh, my mom was kind of settled in Rio. That's where I grew up. Okay. And she said to my grandma, you know, I uh, have a job and I have some sort of stability, so bring me the girls. And so my grandma and my grandpa uh, took us to Rio uh, to reunite with my mom, my sister and I, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and what about the other the friend the the other girl oh maria the little girl maria. what my uh, grandparents did um he, they posted a picture of maria in the newspaper looking for relatives oh and then uh, her grandma oh they showed found up. someone oh yeah. okay so the grandma Amazing. came and picked her up and she stayed with us some time but uh, i'm not sure okay. how long and then when i uh and this is a kind of cute story arriving at the airport my mom uh my mom was always uh, you know she's a psychotherapist but it's, she's always a uh, She's very, she's amazing, very feet on earth, very mm-hmm. aware. Um, and so she said something like, you know, don't force Natty, Natalia, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't force Natty to hug me or to kiss me because I don't know if she's going to remember me. Mm-hmm. You know, she was very little when yeah. I left. Wow. Right. And uh, just lets things, uh, you know, flow naturally. It's <laughs> a, a pretty intuitive yeah, so that, that's what I mean. Like she was, you know, she, she she's the shit. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> and so when the when we arrive at the airport in Rio, 
I look at my mom and I said, you dyed your hair red because she was wearing henna at the time. Oh, wow. And, you know, and so very emotional moment. She started crying and all that stuff. So not only I remember, I remember her very well. Amazing. Right. And at the time, we didn't have, you know, WhatsApp or anything. So there were no pictures of, of yeah, my yeah. mom to keep up or no, anything like that. just completely absent one day with no warning. Well, just, then... you know, landline calls. Oh. That's all. Yeah. So, you know, that's um, in many ways the, the ripple effect of that, those childhood, uh, the childhood events. Uh, I think they still reverberate to today with me. And can, you give, can you give examples? Do you have things in mind? Well, from the professional point of view, for example, I consider myself to be a social justice attorney. Mm -hmm. uh, I did become a lawyer. I mean, before deciding to go to law school, I did uh, extensive exploration, academic and traveling and introspection and therapy, just to make sure that my choice to go to law school was as much of a free choice as it could be and not like a compelled right. uh, choice to perhaps perpetuate some legacy or something like that. I wanted to be like, this is just my choice. Did you feel some of that pressure? You felt like that could be, that could be what it was and that's why you wanted to... Not necessarily in terms of pressure. I was never uh, very easily pressured into anything okay. other yeah. than self-pressure perhaps. Yeah. But there was something like... Um, it's very hard to explain. Uh, it's more like a, some volition or maybe some seed that I was always felt curious about uh, the law. But at the same time, it's because I was always very, uh, uh, you know, growing up, people always told me, oh, you're going to be a lawyer because I was, uh, more than anything, because I was feisty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you always engaged like in, argue in debate them. and, okay. you know, uh, trying to one-up, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people with rhetoric and stuff like that. And, um, and I think I, I did have something that I discovered later that it was a good thing to have for the legal career, which is to... Uh, be able to naturally see things in terms of analogies. Mm. Uh, that's a very important skill in the law because when you um, when you argue or advocate for anything, you have case law, right? And right. no fact pattern is going to be exactly the same as established precedent. So you have to be like, you know, we need to read the same conclusion as this case because this case is just like this in this wow. sense, in this sense. So analogies are biggie. That's really interesting. In yeah. So or, you, you know, a bad result, you want to, you know, differentiate yourself. This case is nothing like this right. because, you know, I'm trying to simplify because, you know, I'm not going to try, I try to not nerd it out too much no, with I like it. I, you can nerd out <laughs> as much as you want um but i'm curious is that just a like a talent that you have that you became aware of the the analogy the, the ability analogy to just thing, do you see imagery or do you see, like what do you think in, in visual terms or how do you like how do you think that came about just it just pops in my head as natural connections i don't mm. necessarily have visions or things like that but um, like quick, you can make quick comparisons and it's more of like a logic connections. Thing it's more like quick connections. Oh, this okay. is just like this. Oh, okay. This is just like that. And cool. even but and it's not just about linguistics or, you know, things right. that have to do with rhetoric. But it's also, um, for example, things like um, the nature of an atom. Uh, you know, if you look at graphics, right, of an atom and how it's mostly 
just you know stuff orbiting or orbiting around a right. little mass that is just like our solar system, right? right? And uh, you know th those kind of connections. How the very 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 micro is just like. I love that. The, yeah. yeah. So, it, so that was a natural thing for me, but I guess like, you know, going to law school was a way of, you know, honing it to um, allegedly good cause or for good purpose. Well, if social justice is your aim, then I'd say it's more than alleged. You know, right. I think that's a real, that's a good cause and that's what you, that's your intent is yeah. to be there defending those who need it, right? Yeah, who, who, well, that's on the, the right one of the reasons. Of justice. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I went to law school. I, you know, even before that, I always had this sense of, you know, uh, well, I remember my teenage years, the word injustice mm -hmm. came up a lot mm. in my personal and the social context. But of course, I'm coming from this huge trauma. Yeah. It was like so <laughs> unjust, right? Um, and I think that uh, for me, it was always because later on when I was maybe four or five years old and I asked my mom, where's that? What is happening? She didn't know whether he was going to come back mm. or not, right? But the way she broke it down to me and my mom was always that kind of person that she never like uh, shuts it down or tells you any stories, she, you know, narrative. tells you like it is, maybe yeah. simplifying it for yeah, a toddler, for but sure. still. That's and, just age appropriate. That's you know, Right, that's but she was always like very about, let's talk about it. Talk mm, about it. Talk awesome. about it. And so what she said was something like, you know, your dad wanted to help a lot of people, especially poor people, because he was also doing some activism in with underprivileged, um, you know, communities, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of like my clientele right now, actually. Uh -huh. um, and then she said, and some people didn't like that. So they took him away to make him stop. Okay. So that's what, that was her way to break down what was happening mm -hmm. to me. And so I was always very uh, aware. And somehow I registered that I understood at the time kind of like what she meant. Mm. And I say, oh, that's so unfair. But I can see how if they didn't like that, they would try to shut him down. Yeah. So, you know, simply put, I had that understanding. But did you think something bad had happened to you, to him? Or did you, I mean, you must have wondered if he was coming back and that would be the main... At, the, at that point, I remember she's saying, like, he's not coming back, sweetie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, and she didn't were... say sweetie because she speaks Spanish, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but it was clear that yeah. he's not coming back. It's just like, I'm, I'm not sure how much of a register, uh, you know, a, at four or five you can have yeah. of, uh, death and right. because it's not necessarily that she mentioned the word death but no, bottom line it's just absence you know, it's like a, yeah a, you're a not gonna see him again absence. yeah wow. which is missing right because it is that's what we call the the desaparecidos is the right. missing people the, from yeah. the 70s and they were 30,000 in Argentina right. Although some people debate that, but just like people debate that the Holocaust never happened, right. you know, all whatever. Those, all those numbers are... Yeah, we're not going uh, down that no. road. Haters were I, hate, whatever. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that was very... Um, in terms of my career, obviously, you can see, like, so much connection. and But I think also in my... Or end, I think also in my personal life, um, you know, I've always... Uh, I had a very tumultuous uh, 
adolescence mm. for many, many reasons. I mean, adolescence is tumultuous per yeah. se in terms right. of hormones, right? right. But also there's just so much uh, anger. Yeah. Um, even yesterday at, uh, in therapy, something happened that I, I was very triggered as soon as I started uh, therapy. I entered for the first time with this therapist. I enter into the session crying. Mm. And then the bottom line is that my homework is to let's see if you can, you know, connect with the 15, 16, 17 year old Natalia and, you know, what does she need? Mm. Let's, let's see if you can have a connect with her and have a dialogue uh, because usually a lot of the upheaval that I'm seeing is because, you know, I mentioned that I, I, I had flashbacks of teenage years and mm. she said, it is common that when those things pop, those unresolved things pop, is because some deep need was not met at the time. Right. And so the homework, I guess, is about to try to uh, relate. What would it look like to have a dialogue with Natalia, 15-year-old, mm -hmm. and, and like, you know, what does she need? And can that need be met now? somehow was she so. did she give you some or i assumed it was she did your therapist give you uh some guidance on how to do that on what like what how to that is the guidance uh just but, begin a dialogue with the with the, this teenage yeah well there's a lot i already have a lot of groundwork done you know lots right. of years of therapy and she knows me and like so you know, did it come easily to you to do that no as soon as she said you know See if you can get in touch with the 15-year-old Natalia. At the time, I was having such a strong... Uh, at the time, meaning yesterday, actually. This was yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> I was having such a strong organic reaction. You know, a lot of, you know, your body contracts. Yeah, and the it's just cellular. Like... Yeah. But, uh, and then I, I, I just have like a combination of... Um, I think it was a uh, fear, sorrow, and anger all combined, and I couldn't stop crying when mm. she said that. Uh, but that's a good thing for me because it means, oh, there is a lot to unpack in here, so that's good. Yeah. I, I'm all for, you know, let's do it. Let's do the work. Me too. Um, yeah. Not necessarily we know how to go about it, but at least you be, be open to lean in yep. to it and, you know, pray for the best. self were you how did that show up was it just rebellion was it like your your sort of tumultuous rebellious is, is a big word because my, uh, yeah. my mom oh my god if i get a dollar for every time he told me <laughs> rebel without a cause okay that was like my thing yeah rebel without a cause what? because uh, always <laughs> this thing about i remember you know i wanted to i was ahead in school so my 
friends were older and they wanted to start going to clubs and dancing. And my parents were like, absolutely not. I'm the oldest of three. Uh-huh. My brother and sister definitely had it easier. Okay. But with me, everybody was a no, 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 and, no, no. And what and, age were you at this point? 15 or 16? I was 15, okay. 16, at 14, I wanted to start you going to, go to class, clubs? but matinee, right? Not at night. Okay. And I did sneak out and, you know, like uh, I did a lot of shit that luckily for them, <laughs> they didn't find out they would have had a heart attack. Yeah. And I think that part of the, um, it was very symptomatic uh, also to have put myself in a lot of uh, reckless. Uh, yeah. situations now just now maybe like from last year to now I am getting more literate about trauma and how it manifests so mm. a lot of things in terms of um, residual trauma or traumatic stress and the side effects or the effects that it has it has on your mind behavior yeah. all of that stuff i am actually just getting acquainted with it right now it's fairly new wow. and it's a huge paradigm shift because lots of things that i thought they were just um character flaws or that's just the way i am right. or i'm just damaged goods now it just happens that they are textbook yeah. symptoms yeah, of unresolved trauma amazing but, but it's new <laughs> but you must feel some relief at having found that right yes yes you've been carrying around this idea that it's all about you being broken somehow as or... soon yeah as soon as i started reading this thing it's like wow a huge huge relief that's feeling awesome. much lighter yeah about it especially when it comes to um, you know, they add freeze to fight, flight, freeze. Oh. And so, so many times I, I wouldn't understand why is it that sometimes I need to, I retreat for, you know, become very reclusive for yeah. days at a time, hours mm-hmm. or days at a time. And I always thought um, maybe I'm a little depressed or maybe I'm just, you know, damaged goods somehow. Yeah. But I thought it was character flaw, individual, right? And not as you a thought part it of... originated in you. Yeah, and you were there's yeah. some way that you didn't fit right in the world. Right. Well, I was always a little bit of a black sheep, anyways, right. in many ways. Well, I think most so. of the time that plays into it because I, I mean, I've had similar experiences with just being. I mean, I, personally, I believe every child experiences some sort of trauma. I think that yours is way extreme it, it's it's a, an end of the spectrum that most people aren't familiar with and never would you know it's hard to even imagine you know to just have your a parent taken like that it's i'm really really sorry it's it's terrifying to think about but thank you uh yeah i mean it's really uh amazing that anybody can that humans can come back from stuff like that. I'm just always blown away that the the resiliency of the of the psyche, really. If you're right. if you're if you're able to get treatment or get the you know get some sort of help to right. to guide you back to feeling okay about yourself, because I think that's really what it comes down to. It's just you have to feel you have to be able to be okay, like feel like you're okay. You love yourself. You don't. You're not a piece of shit. You're not. It's not the things well, I never that happen. I thought it was a, like a piece of shit. Oh yeah, thing, I don't mean you. Know. I just mean it's easy to overlay other right. other you know templates and other yeah sense of inadequacy to, in general. Yeah, yeah, you just you 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 take these hits to your self esteem as a young a very young child. I yeah. think most humans do because just because of the societies we live in, you know, it's, right. a, it's a pretty insane world and you're bound to experience some, some kind of trauma pretty early in your life. I uh, mean, we all go 
through traumatic uh, events, and we will continue to go Always, through yeah. traumatic stuff. Yeah, it's not. It's... I think you know, like, but the biggest thing that I'm learning now about trauma is not so much that you know that whether you go through it or not, but whether you at the time you're able to metabolize it or integrate it in a way that it's, you know, some sort of like, that is not lingering, uh, yeah. uh, you know, but when you're a child, you don't really have any resources to understand anything. Right. However, I do think that, um, and this is just my take, I, you know, on basic psychology, I suppose, that a sense of self-worth and self-esteem comes mostly from um, being loved and supported mm. when you're very, very young, yeah. maybe up to the age of five, very Freudian, what I'm saying. <laughs> I think it's true, though. You know, I mean, I think so that's that's such a huge... I mean, I think beyond that is even better, and it gets right. better. But the more love you get, the better. Right, but it's very, very... But formative in yeah, those if years. you don't get it yeah. in those years it's definitely if you don't get it it's harder to up. it's harder to not impossible because some people you know like are able to pull themselves out and yeah. to muster a sense of self-worth despite the fact that because i think the worst happens when like the people that are supposed to protect you and love you when they harm you tremendously yeah. that's when things get the most of course difficult it's to such overcome a huge betrayal it's right. the biggest betrayal like, right. for a parent to... and then that creates a lot of you know cognitive and self-love uh, short circuits yeah. I think but you know but I did receive a lot of love my my grandparents were very loving my mom was always very loving so in in terms of self-esteem and self-love I think like you know like uh, I never felt that that was so much of an issue although of course I don't feel that I have a hundred percent self-acceptance no, and self-love but I think that's do. more probably more about the human condition per se yeah than about what happened in my childhood However, one of the things that I think is a big thing, big thing that I'm still um, dealing with nowadays is that um, my relationship with uh, the male gender, specifically in the um, relationship or intimacy or yeah. partnership context. And I think that uh, what we concluded with some of my therapists in the past is that, you know, from such a young age, your how you will relate to you know binary genders later on has more to do has a lot to do with how you're related to your mom and your dad if you mm, have them right. right and so in the case of my dad i was definitely a daddy's girl you know and then all of a sudden the the strong imprint that i think left on me and this is my educated explored guess of course i don't you know well, i don't also, know if it is your life so i think you have more than a it's, it's the meaning uh, that i give to it right cuz my mom yeah. says it's all about what it means to you yeah well that's right? that's yeah that's the value is like what you see right in it, you and know. and i think that that has to do with something like this you know the male presence is great is there for me and all of a sudden abruptly removed mm. and as you know it gone yeah forever so that's i think that that's the seed that then when you fast forward into natalia dating and so mm. on it's uh it's definitely very potent when it comes to trust issues sure. and when it comes to but all of these things i've been able to just put together 
over time, yeah. right? Why is it that I get so anxious when some when I don't know where someone is or when someone disappears for a little bit, oh, wow. right? And I think that now I learned that's probably you know a minor version of traumatic response I to the so. stimuli of uh, unknown. What is this person? What yeah. happened to this person? But you sense. can tell, you know, it's a good hint that you're suffering uh, a traumatic response when your response in terms of intensity and emotionality and what you're telling yourself in your mind, it seems that once you calm down, it seems disproportionate to the event itself. Right. That's usually an indication, you know, if it was about this, yep. it wasn't really about this. Yeah. You know, but, you know, easier said than done. With hindsight, everything yeah. is so clear. But, in, you know, in the moment, shit goes down and it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's chaotic. Most, yeah, same for me. <laughs> Most of the time I get... I need like a five second lag to even to get back to sanity. Like, I, like right. if I let if I don't stop myself in the first place and I go down that road and it's so it's so disproportionate. Sometimes it's absurd, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like the, but 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 the feeling isn't the feeling is absolutely oh, real, real, you know, yeah. the and, angst is very real. Yeah. yeah. And so you can torture yourself with it. You know, and if you have PTSD, you don't you don't even have a choice about it. You're just it's happening. Like just these things are happening around you, right? And well, you have a, a choice. Off. You have a, you don't have a choice in terms of like you know your nervous system is you know in yeah. high arousal mode. That you don't have a choice of whether it's gonna happen or not. But you you always have a choice about certain things, okay. right? You like you what? can, for example. You know, I also have PTSD from a car accident, right? And so one time something very minor happened. And in my mind, I think I ran out of battery and it was late and I was far away. But I was, and oh, and the alarm kept honking despite mm -hmm. the fact that I, I, I had a jump. In any case, something minor was wrong with my car yeah. and I needed to drive for an hour to get back to San Francisco. But in my mind, I kept saying, my, I was sure, I know now it sounds ridiculous mm. but at the time i was sure if i get into that freeway i will die however mm. you know i was telling myself despite the fact that i was hyperventilating and all that stuff it's like you don't need to drive right now mm. you know you're in hyper okay. alertness hyper vigilant mode just wait which is the very famous uh zen pause and now we're gonna uh enter the zen chapters yeah, let's do it <laughs> so um so are you so do you find that you're able to do that and often or in or some of the time how, how often can you awareness is the prerequisite to be able to pause yep. because one thing is you know whatever you feel whatever you're telling yourself and another thing is do you act to do you have to act on it right, right. now do you need to resolve this right now right no yeah. You don't. It's usually no. Usually, the answer, almost right? always. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like a train coming at you and you get right. Uh, jump. But you know, when it's something that is more like what you think is going to happen, yep. it's you know You're that it's mind. You're a, a fantasy in the future. Right. Yeah. And and another thing that I was always very good at, a little bit naturally and a little bit because my mom trained me like this or conditioned me like this, was that it's always still is always easy for me to reach out when I'm in angst. 
That's uh, great. To call That's even a... to a stranger, to people that I know, uh, just like, hey, I need to talk. I'm freaking wow. out. That's an amazing gift or talent or skill or whatever it is. It was, um, I don't have that. It's I'm... a biggie. I cannot even imagine. Even with the ability to reach out, sometimes you still feel isolated and yeah. things like that. So I can't even imagine without it how I, tough. I can tell you all about it sometime <laughs> if, you, if you're interested. I I'll can, interview you one day. I can tell you what it's like <laughs> to not reach out to people when you're when you need to. It's not it's not fun, and I don't recommend it. But it, it it's been my mode for um, you know forever, and I've had to really work hard to 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 make any sort of progress in that regard. I think I've made some, but it's yeah. hard. It's usually with my partner. You know, it's kind of yeah. The, or, well, it all comes from conditioning. Whatever feel com- you know, it feels comfortable if you've been conditioned since you were a kid. Like my mom always conditioned me to be like, even you know, I don't want to talk about it, mom, and yeah. she like somehow we just you need to let it out. You yeah. need to talk. So I'm heavily conditioned to just talk yeah. it out. I know? was conditioned in two different opposing directions because my mom was was like that. She's also a therapist. Uh-huh. And, uh, there you go. <laughs> a therapist too. Uh, oh, there you go. Um, but my dad was sort of a typical, you know, repress all the feelings, don't talk about right. much of anything right. and uh, not really encouraged to... <laughs> To feel or to express or to do anything, you know, no, no emotion is, right. is a-okay. Well, and that's I, a very traditional uh, male yeah. conditioning about, you But know. also I was super unhappy in that household with some of the other circumstances. So mm-hmm. I, my natural defense was to avoid and get quiet. And, you know, if somebody went out of their way to get in front of me, which a lot of, which did happen, then I would, yeah. I would fight that. Right. But most of the time, I just wanted to be left alone. And, well, sometimes uh, the being left alone is a, a survival thing. Because that's what sometimes, it was, yeah. But, but I think that that's carried with me my entire life. And well, that's, that's the what thing. I do. Like, that's, I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. The world is crazy. I'm not liking human behavior right now. I'm going to go yeah. be left alone. You know, you know one uh, good thing that my therapist says, um, Brooke, shout out to Brooke, uh-huh. uh, is when I... because usually the hardest part of what we do is not so much what we do or don't do, but our judgment on it. Right. Like, oh, I'm being, okay, I'm chilling or I haven't left my room in two days or whatever. That's a fact. Yeah. But then the judgment comes in when you go like, I should be doing this. Yep. I should be doing that. What's, the, what's wrong with you? And, and then, you yep. know. Yep. so on and so one thing that i think is a good a question to break at least the cycle of repetition that she does is to say well can you see uh some benefit in doing the reclusion and it's so as soon as she sheds that light of awareness of course it's a game changer because it's a yes of course i see a benefit the benefit is that i feel safe yeah you know and sometimes you just literally need to be like you know all curled up yeah. in your bed because you know that whatever it is is overwhelming and just stay still and this too shall pass
you know, the past four years, I've been a resident at a Buddhist temple called San Francisco Zen Center. Oh, yeah. I know uh, of it. So we have three temples, three sister temples. One is in the city, in San Francisco. In one mission. is in Muir Woods. Mm-hmm. In, no, not in the mission, in Hayes Valley. Oh. In uh, Page and Laguda. 300 Page, okay. by the way. Okay. All right. <laughs> Saturday mornings, we have open house. <laughs> is that the one? Sorry, so there's one there? There's one? There's one in Muir Woods called Green Gulch or Green Dragon Temple. Okay. And, and it has a path to Muir Beach, actually. It's beautiful. Wow. It's the valley. We call that the farm. Wow. Right? And then there is Tassajara Zen Mountain okay. Center of uh, the, um, I want to say it's kind of like of Carmel Valley up in the mountains in a valley. Mm-hmm. And that during fall and winter is monastic. It means like, you know, there's only 50 people there. Nobody yep. comes in, nobody comes out. And it's as if you, you were in a Japanese temple following a very tough schedule which wow. i've done this past winter for the first time you wake up at 3 50 a.m 3 50 yeah and what's uh, the first what's can you walk me through the day or do you were you headed somewhere else? did you want to tell me more about well i can walk you to through the tasahara schedule um but first i wanted to go back to my four years as a resident okay yeah. uh, resident monk i guess you would call is a it is a city temple so it's very porous there is a lot of people coming in and out so you don't have that retreat like right. uh, vibe but for some of the residents there are about 50 residents take give about 10 of us uh, are you know participating in this program called dharma bridge formerly known as rbt which is people who um live at the temple but work outside the temple and and pay rent okay whereas if you are an apprentice or a staff member for the temple you work full-time for the temple and then you do not pay rent gotcha. so that's a big difference yeah um and that's uh, the program is very interesting because if you you know it allows for us to carry our practice into society at large yeah uh many of us are you know healers or lawyers or therapists or but whatever it is it can't hurt if it's infused with mindfulness and a sense of you know community right so for the past four years i would say that my explorations and um you know overcoming and more than anything there's it's not about acquiring or achieving but more than anything i think is about shedding Mm. Uh, and letting go of stuff that we cling to yeah. uh, that perhaps in the past might have had some survival f- you know, value. Yeah. But that was a long time ago. Those circumstances are no longer current. But we hold on to things such as, you know, the for me, having been bullied or, you know, a lot of street uh, dynamics have to do with like the way to defend yourself is a good attack. Yeah. Right. And so that, that mechanism still like kicks in, right. you know, way more, you know, chilled nowadays, right. but still there. I definitely have to do conscious reading, you know, <laughs> it's not the same as the streets of Rio though. Right. The, right. Or Buenos Aires or, you know, Wow. But you know, the, I want to hear the, some of that too. If you want, if, I want to hear some of that part of your life too, if you want to tell. Yeah, I mean, I can tell a lot of things. It's just, uh, I, 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 I think that this past four years was like um, uh, working on yourself on steroids. 
Okay. It's just intensified because you're there all the time. Because you're there all the time. Just totally immersed in the core of the program. Yeah, totally immersed. And also because you are with like minded people. Mm -hmm. And as the Buddha described, the triple treasure is the Buddha, basically the teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the Dharma, which is the teachings. And the Sangha, which is the community, because, uh, you know, you need the community in order to support the practice. Especially me, they have. Very little discipline. <laughs> okay, yeah, it, it would be necessary for a lot of people, I think. Right, or, or and I think that, you know, for me, I see Buddhism as a practice, not necessarily as, as a religion in terms yeah. of, you know, um, worshipping or dogma, although I do believe that the explanation of reality, uh, there's a lot of overlap with psychology, especially when describing the self as a construction. But, you know, I think that the it's more like I see what the practice of meditating and with others that are there for the same thing and seeing what everybody else is doing. That is, first of all, it gives you hope. Yeah. And you feel there is a lot of uh, supporting each other. And it kind of you know, gives it, you purpose too, doesn't it? Yeah, it gives you it gives you lots of things. It's, yeah. it's ineffable to try to describe, yeah. you know, what it's like to live there. But also energetically, doesn't it just elevate you to be in? Oh that yeah, especially setting, like, like a, a for me the chanting. People. The chanting yeah. is something that you end up like vibrating yeah. very high. Yeah, I've done. And um, it's, it's although they take attendance, I unfortunately not always. I will make it every morning, but. Um, Every single morning that I make it to the morning program and do two bouts of med- two sessions of zazen, which is sitting meditation, and uh-huh. then there is service. Okay. Service is uh, simply put a lot of bowing and a lot of chanting. Okay. <laughs> but you know, after are you chanting that, words or is it? Yeah, you're chanting like Japanese a, uh, or okay. in English. There, you and know, what the, is what is it that you're chanting? Do you have, are there specific some, phrases that are repeated? The sut- sutras. Okay. Sutras. Sometimes. Can you choose, sutras, or is it like set no, 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 ones for like set like time? There's so. a program. Monday, okay. Tuesday. Gotcha. Every day has a different uh, kind of sutra. It's, it's several okay. chants, about like three, four per day. Okay. Some of them go with a percussion. It's mm-hmm. called mokugyo, a Japanese drum, which cool. I love to play. Do you, you know, do the chanting in Japanese or in English? Yeah, Jap- both, both. Okay. Sometimes Japanese, some are in Japanese, some are in English. Oh, okay, but we do both. pass along chanting books, so don't worry. If you don't know them, you can read. Right, the <laughs> some I know by heart, some others I don't know by heart. And, you know, but what I noticed, uh, like, after, especially after the, you know, a lot of people chanting at the same time, vibrational-wise, yeah. it's very potent. Yeah, it's powerful. And, when I make those days, even when we had a, like a tough immigration case, I'm an mm. immigration lawyer nowadays. Uh, Thank you, by the way. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> doing the service you're doing. <laughs> you know, Somebody's so got to fight. This even when things, oh, a lot of us do, actually. I know. A lot of us do, yeah. I'm glad. So, you know, I noticed that it's not like nothing bad is going to happen because adversity is inherently part of life. But then how you will respond to it, it's so, it's very rarely when I make it through the whole morning program, anything is going to like completely throw me off Uh because you just, it just is, the ripple effect is definitely tangible. Yeah. Um, So that was, you know, this, this four years is very hard to describe four years, but uh, you know, to... To give you like a little bit summary, when I came into the Zen Center, I was it was post car accident. I was feeling very isolated, and I, I kept wishing, man, I wish I had more friends, especially female friends mm. and especially female colleagues. I didn't have anyone. Many of my friends had moved back to their uh, original homelands, yeah. and so and I I was feeling like that uh, uh, 
I don't feel like myself when okay. we say that. So yeah, you feel yeah. off, yeah. right? And feeling uh, very uh, phobic almost about the legal profession. I had just passed the bar maybe like a year before that. Very intimidated because, yeah. you know, a lot of responsibility. You fuck up, that's someone's life, Yeah. right? And also probably some karmic or psychological subconscious stuff about my father, right? The legal profession. Yeah. You know, in any case, I think there's a lot there to unpack, but I was afraid of everything. I could barely socialize with anyone. And then, you know, you fast forward four years later uh, today, and I just moved out two days ago from oh, the temple. Oh, that's That was the move, was from that the was temple the into the That I mentioned wow. that I was, you know, tired because of the move. I didn't realize um, that, like, you're just now. Yes, yeah, so this, this is like a moment. huge I mean, new chapter. Wow. That's got to be I've, such um, a massive culture shock after uh, yeah yeah it was although it was like you know i i had like two three months to process this okay. move is still a, a a big thing would you have stayed I'm, longer if you could have is it was it like a four-year the program has some time limitations but it was also like other circumstances aligned that it was it was time for me to move and you know like i'm a night person and the 5 a.m wake up but shit i'm uh, tired that's rough. You know? <laughs> yeah it'd be rough to do once much less for four years every day and also you know quite honestly not being able to show up as much as uh, a was required and as much as i would have liked to okay is also something that i'm you know it creates a lot of inner uh, struggle because you're finding like self-judgment about not, not necessarily being... self-judgment but like you know it's not a judgment it's a fact i am not keeping up with what i'm supposed to right you know? okay. like i'm kind of like always like chasing after things okay. and it's like also at the office and for work you know the clock that i have to wake up at five is always in the back of your head yeah. so i tend to cut my day short because it takes hours to unwind after talking uh, to, with people who have trauma can't even imagine so yeah. it was like definitely like a four years of like a lot of juggling however yeah. um immensely more beneficial than you know that the struggle yeah. and part of the struggle is also helps to see because you have so many opportunities to identify when you're shaming yourself or not it's, being able to do xyz and yeah. so it's like a, like i say it's a practice mindfulness and self-exploration on steroids yeah <laughs> so what do you think it'll be like now that you're not in the temple like will it be hard to keep up that same level of uh fortitude and discipline and like you know if you're on your own it's kind of like when you move out of the dorm at discipline, college or something or, i don't have a lot or, of faith in discipline in terms of continuing my meditation practice okay um however there you know like um i'm not so worried about that because it's a new phase and it has been uh difficult to also find to me it's always it's all about love and people okay and it has been difficult to it's difficult to date when you're like uh when you live where yeah. <laughs> no and then you know you were to... allowed to have someone in your room but then it's like you know where's the bathroom and you yeah. gotta like you know draw them a floor plan yeah. <laughs> you know it's, it, it's, it's hard to date when you're a monk
it all goes back because most of the things to like self-esteem mm-hmm. and where are you in the scale of complete acceptance and self-love because it's like if you don't feel you're worthy of love and of a fulfilling wholesome life for yourself yeah. and others then you're not gonna be you're, you're not gonna maybe find be disinclined it. to do the work yeah well and you're because, gonna you're gonna attract people who won't and not Bring only that, that you don't you. think it's mm-hmm. going to happen for you, which I, I still have, you know, cognitive dissonance with some mm. some negative self-beliefs about, uh-huh. you know, love or things like traditional marriage, things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's been changing a little bit. Right. But I, I definitely have. I'm aware that it's they are in there. there. It's in the training. It's yeah. just that I notice how much... Um, everything is much that has more much more plasticity than we think nice you know and so that's something like you know keep it in mind i remember the shuso at tasahara that's the head monk Uh which is a a student that it's is going to be right next to the leader of the period and then after the end of the shuso at the end of the practice period that teacher there is a ceremony and a ritual and that teacher becomes officially a, a, that student becomes officially a teacher oh, right? cool. they can teach the dharma yeah. basically and it's so like an initiation. And I remember, so, yes yeah. it's a it's sort of like a is it the tradition uh, yeah. from especially japanese buddhism mm-hmm. zen is japanese buddhism and then the shuso one of the things she said heather uh, was um and she was quoting someone else i think it was Pema children that mm. she encountered at some point. No feeling is final. Mm. And so which goes along with impermanence, but it's yeah. one of those things that because when we panic, because it's, it's usually because we're pretty sure that, that what we're thinking or feeling, that's it. That's it's what's up. Happen, yeah. that, unless happened. someone comes and rescue me or whatever, you yeah. know, but, but no, it will pass. It will. It yeah. might not feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So all those things, you know, but we have to gather whatever tools work for you. Something mm-hmm. resonates with me. That doesn't mean it's going to resonate with you. Yeah. The, how can you know? Try, try it. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> try it out. Try it on. We say try it out or try it on. Either. Either. There you go. Yeah. Do both then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Trial and error. I'm a big, uh, you know, empiricist. Like to yeah. me, the only way yeah. to know something, especially whether it works for me, is to try Let's it. See if it works. And yeah. then, and then, then something that worked maybe yesterday, ten years ago, might not work today. Yeah, that's a good thing tomorrow. to keep in mind too. So it's not always. Once you figure it out, it's not necessarily always that way. It's yeah. good to keep checking in. And that's yeah. the nature of impermanence, which yeah. is one of the ultimate, you know, the, one of the noble truths, right. right? That described in Buddhism, impermanence. And if you think about it. That is pretty much uh, the nature of everything yeah, that yeah. is. You as can apply we know it to everything. It. Yeah, as yeah. Our it. experience of it is that it's it's yeah. gonna go away. So we have a lot of, um, you know, uh, contradictions in sure. this life. Like if you think about it, one of the things that we resist the most and that we fight and that we wish it would not happen is the thing that we know for sure is going to happen to all of us you will die, die. yeah that's true death is <laughs> everything will die and we fight it at every turn yeah. right and so you know not that, in every culture but in this one for sure well we have all these taboos about it and then we have yeah. like this insane glorification of it because we're I mean, so there's a confused huge resistance about how we with feel that, you know it's, it's a that's a axiomatic 
<laughs> and yet we resisted. <clears throat> One thing is obviously nobody, I don't want anybody that I love to die. I would prefer they wouldn't, but you know, but that's very different than to behave as if it was not unavoidable. Yeah, we were in denial of death, which is not, uh, that's not possible. Coping. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. Just, uh, coping. So, uh. yeah. <laughs> well, Natalia, it's what do you been think? It's been some time. It now, has. Yeah, I think Justin. we got to wrap because I got to, <laughs> I got to shrink this down into something in a very short time. But, uh, good luck with that. Thank you. It'll be fun. It'll be good to listen back. <laughs> There's a lot of content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I also do these outtakes episodes. So whatever what doesn't get you. Uh, if if there's leftover material that uh, I think is would be good to use elsewhere, I'll do it in, oh, in okay. outtakes, like a separate episode. Because we still have remnants. to to discuss what Tassahara is. Oh but, my you God. know, uh, like I, I really think that is something that whoever is interested that should definitely look it up. It's okay. a very unique place. Yeah, um, well I can give all kinds of links to whatever yeah. if you if you want people to find these things. But we've yeah, yeah we've named a few that yeah. are worth it's investigating. It's also the, the, the first monastery, the fe- the first Zen monastery outside uh, in the West. Tassahara was established oh, wow. in the 60s. That's uh, cool. Right? So um that was very potent and that led me to realize that i didn't even know because no exceptions we all have blind spots Many, yeah, all yeah. of us no exceptions and then yeah. i realized oh vulnerability i have difficulty with that yeah you know and then that led me to vulnerability is a whole subject in itself yeah. but that's something that i'm practicing with uh, nowadays <laughs> that's a big one it's a tender tender thing to approach very potent but yeah it's really powerful Brené Brown is a very huge resource on that Um, cool all right well thanks so much we don't are we saying do I have we have to wrap it up in like in a formal way or you just gonna cut edit all this I I usually say I want to make sure you have you said I mean we could go on and talk forever but I feel like in in well and in in any <laughs> one could go on talking forever right. but i but i like to have i i feel like we covered a lot of good stuff yeah and i think it's a good place to i told to you about conclude. this lots so, of i always have something to say yeah. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> i'm with you for better or for worse yeah <laughs> So, well, yeah. So I do usually just say thank you for coming. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks thank for being you for so having open. me. And, uh, and, uh, and then I say goodbye. And it's always very awkward because you're sitting right here in the room with me. And so that's, that's well, the part. Well, we say goodbye that... to the listener, perhaps. Or maybe see you later, listener. There you go. How about that? <laughs> All right. Well, I will see you presently. And I'll, I'll see everybody else later. <laughs> thank right. you for having me. Thanks a lot. It was Thanks. great. Bye. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, this is my new friend Natalia um, talking about stuff that people go through and how they deal with it, and the people that we become when we do the inner work. Um, so she wanted me to share with you all uh, the website for the San Francisco Zen Center, which is where she did her four-year. Uh, residency and other things, other retreats, and believes heavily in the 
in what they have to offer. So um, the San Francisco Zen Center can be found at sfzc.org. Pretty quick and easy. And you can get to the Tassajara information from there and, and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I love it when, um, I mean, all of us have different stories, but we all have stuff in common. And I think that's proven each time that two people get together and talk, even if they come from other parts of the world and totally different backgrounds and all of that. And I hope that some of this resonates with some of you or all of you. And I hope that you can pass along your deep, deep love of this program. It is your favorite podcast after all. So um, you might as well spread the word. Uh, I love you. Thank you so much. See you next week. Bye.